Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Dr. Lawrence Simon, and the show, as always, is The Stories We Live By. And today, I'm going to talk about war stories. And of course, if you would like to join in and discuss this with me, that's fine. But I want to talk about war stories, and I'm very anxious about talking about this because the topic is too big for me. I think the topic is too big for any individual. So why would I do this? Because I think the topic is too uh, important to ignore. And we ignore it. Or else we talk about war as if there were good wars and bad wars, or justified wars and unjustified wars. And, of course, part of my my anxiety uh, and motivation to discuss war at this point is the fact that we're involved in a war And as I talked about last time on the stories that politicians uh, uh, tell us, uh, this war is going on for years and years. It's an atrocious war, incredible amount of human suffering that is being created by this war because it's the purpose of war to create human suffering. We don't put it that way, but the whole purpose of war is to kill and destroy and the, uh, uh, the suffering is always enormous. Uh, I didn't plan uh, on this show um, in conjunction with Ken Burns' film on PBS, which aired the, the first episode aired last night uh, about World War II from the eyes of four towns and the soldiers who fought in it. But it's pointed out there that while... Millions of soldiers died. Many, many, many more millions of civilians died. Men, women, and children. And so this is a topic that I'm not going to discuss from the point of view of whether the war in Iraq is a good or bad war. I could tell you my personal politics on it is that it is a horrendous war. We should never have begun it. And uh, I can't imagine more incompetent and arrogance in the uh, leadership that has fought this war in the way it has in the last uh, years, four years since it started. But uh, I want to talk not about this war. I don't want to get embroiled in the politics of this war. uh, I want to talk about war in general. And so um, I'm going to approach this again as a psychologist and as a psychologist, what, what seems to drive behavior or seems to motivate behavior are the kind of stories that we tell about things. Um, and so we all have a way of looking at war and stories about war. And most of the time, they don't include anything about the suffering of war. And it's very interesting. Uh, the people who fight wars... Uh, the soldiers, the civilians who experience direct war, um, are individuals who can tell stories that perhaps would stop war. But these are individuals who really are never allowed to speak. Uh, I'm thinking now of the soldiers who come back from uh, the war in Iraq, uh, the same soldiers who come back from any war. None of them are the same. Uh, War, the killing of people, the watching of the destruction of, of that war brings, the kind of hell that war represents, 
uh, transforms people. It doesn't make them sick. If you've been listening to my show, you know how I feel about that. But the shrinks get to these individuals and tell them that they have post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, they're sick. And once somebody is mentally ill or mentally disordered, we don't have to listen to them anymore. It's interesting that, that there is this uh, uh, tendency for us not to want to hear really bad news or prepare for what might really be bad news. Um, and so when these individuals talk, they talk as individuals, and we really don't listen to them. Um, it's interesting, too, that our stories about war really are uh, juxtaposed against stories about peace. We pray for peace, but all we do is fight. War. In the 5,000 so many years of, of recorded history, there's only a couple of hundred in which war doesn't seem to be the dominant activity that shapes history. War is always with us. It's the center of our stories, and yet most people claim uh, to say they hate war. They're afraid of war. They don't want war. They pray for peace. I've never heard anybody go into a church or a temple or a mosque and pray for war. They say they pray for peace, but what is practiced has very little to do with what seems to be prayed for. So we have the situation in which there's a kind of disconnect in our stories between the facts of war as they seem to exist in the experience of those who live through it, who fight it, uh, and those of us who sit at home or those of us who participate passively or otherwise in the creation of the next war. Uh, I heard somebody give a definition of peace. Peace is the time it takes people to rearm for their next war. Now, I, I want to talk about this from the point of view of psychology, uh, but psychology tends to be a very small subject. I, I want to talk about that a little bit because the framework I use is not the same framework I learned as a so-called clinical psychologist dealing with the diagnosis and the treatment of so-called mental illnesses. Um, the, the psychology uh, that uh, emerges, particularly in the United States, is different from the one, for example, uh, that Freud uh, uh, believed. Uh, Freud, very interesting, I think he was a very smart man, a very learned man, uh, talked about the two basic impulses in human beings. He said human beings uh, have a sexual impulse and an and, and aggressive impulse. These are the impulses that conflict often with morals and the way society would wish to behave. Men, he said, basically, uh, you'll excuse, I'm going to use uh, the language in French, want to fuck and they want to kill. That's basic to human nature. And I don't believe that. Uh, I really don't believe that. I believe that it's much more complex than that. Human beings, men and women, are capable of killing, and they're capable of sex, and they're capable of, of all kinds of things. We know that, and that has to be included in our stories about people and what shapes people uh, in terms of the decisions they actually make. Uh, do they kill or do they negotiate? Do they, do they uh, treat others with respect and dignity, or do they step on people? Do they practice democracy or totalitarian politics? 
in which it's you'll listen to me or I'll crush your head in. See, I don't think one is any more uh, innate to another. Interestingly, that Freud then lived through World War One, the first great war catastrophe. Well, actually, the Civil War was the first modern war in which there were over 600,000 uh, casualties. And the first time that really high-powered rifles were used specifically to shatter bones and tear away pieces of human body. I didn't know that the bullets that were fired from these guns uh, went end over end rather than simply be balls. And this went over end so that they would do the maximum damage uh, to the person that the bullet hit. Uh, but World War I was horrendous war. Uh, uh, how many tens of millions died? And it really led in Europe uh, what looked to be in a revulsion of war. And by the way, I can tell you that while I don't have a specific political agenda here, I'm not going to deal with Republicans and Democrats, um, I do uh, hope that the outcome of this discussion and many other discussions uh, would lead to a revulsion of war, that the very idea of war being part of our story would be the same as being a child molester or a child pornographer, that these would be things that the most people would agree create revulsion, and that those people who would advocate child pornography uh, would be shunned. That is, war would get them shunned so that those who claim to love war or those who claim that uh, we should immediately go out to fight war uh, on wherever they are. And again, please let me make it clear. I'm not taking political sides in our country. I am talking about something that's universal. Somebody pointed out to me that on this planet right now, there are some 200 wars going on. And all of them are destructive and, and, and homicidal and suicidal. And I would like to see a general revulsion of war. Uh, certainly that's what our religion tells us. Pray for peace. Jesus was a peacemaker. Uh, it's interesting that the philosopher Bertrand Russell said of uh, uh, Christianity that it was a great idea. Maybe someday it'll be practiced. That is, the way in which Jesus believed uh, we should behave would actually be practiced in the way in which the religion is, is performed and the story it actually tells uh, other than speeches that take place in churches. So, um, the psychology that uh, Freud ultimately came up with after World War I, this horrendous war, was that um, there wasn't just sex and aggression, but a life force and a death force. There was uh, Eros and Thanatos. He took that from the Greek legends. Eros, the god of life, and, and Thanatos of death. And it seems to me that if he was right, we are going through a period of dominance by Thanatos, that um, a civilizational war that's such brewing between uh, the East and the West, between the Muslim and the non-Muslim world, is going to lead to a protracted, horrendous war that will be like the Thirty Years' War or the Hundred Years' War, but with a technology that will make civilization and life absolutely unbearable and impossible. Uh, I recently went to a discussion in which people sat in this meeting 
and said we should now uh, have a decisive victory over the Muslims, kill every man, woman, and child now while we still have time. And I looked at this, and my response was, and not just my response, gee, the last person who spoke that way was Adolf Hitler, uh, whose attempt to kill every man, woman, and child who was Jewish. Uh, this is impossible. These are stories that have to somehow be understood and have to be changed. Now, a couple of things about the psychology that I believe. I believe that we are social creatures. And we think of ourselves as individuals, but don't really see just how powerful the influence of certain stories are on our own stories. So that when our story becomes a mob story, when we participate in a mob, that mob makes us a different human being and tells a different story than if we were sitting at home in our own living room and watching a television show. We are not simply uh, the creatures like that we think we are, but we all walk from our house, and when we walk into certain situations, we behave according to the stories dictated by those situations. I want to talk about two quick studies. These were studies that led to congressional investigations because they really did upset the way in which uh, we look at ourselves as individuals. One was the famous Milgram study, in which an authority figure tells students uh, that they're involved in a, in a study of punishment. And I won't go into the details of the study, but most of the students believed, they really weren't, but they believed they were inflicting grievous damage on a person in another room with electric shocks. And many of them ended up going to therapy afterwards and being devastated because they couldn't understand why this, this non-threatening authority figure could get them to do this. The other is the famous Zimbardo prison study in which he carefully selected peaceful, loving, bright students and he created a prison situation in which some were guards and some were uh, prisoners. And by the time this had to be called off after five days, the prisoners were locking student prisoners in, in closets and inflicting torture on them. And again, uh, there's a kind of a horrified look because we say, how could these people do this? And the answer seems to be that we have to include in our story an understanding of ourselves the fact that we are social creatures and that we are, uh, we respond, many of us in different ways, but there is this response to the story we tell and live by when we are involved with large groups of people, when we're involved with strangers, but when we get involved with those authority figures that I've already discussed at length, who live according to God thing stories, and act as if they know all and are better than us and that we can't question, that we have to flatter and we have to grovel. Otherwise, uh, we're not a good citizen or we're not a good individual and a good person. So uh, this is, becomes incredibly important. And so for me to understand war, one of the elements is almost always, again, these people that we seem to worship and, and have an awe of. 
Why? I don't know. Perhaps it's evolutionary. Perhaps it's, it's a, a failure to grow up out of our own childhoods and work through uh, our problems with our parents so that we see our parents and respect our parents and love our parents, but not as our parents or as authority figures, but merely as other human beings. Right? But there is this aura. Uh, I was watching television this morning in the gym, and they did a half-hour piece. I didn't listen. I was listening to Beethoven, but it was on all around me of this poor Britney Spears, this pathetic child. Uh, and the enjoyment so many people seem to have uh, on her, her downfall. Why? She was up there. Look at how we treat celebrities. And the very fact that there's a war going on that's never mentioned, as if it's not happening with all of this suffering, and we pay attention to celebrities the way we do, like some kind of addictive drug. Uh, and now she's getting her comeuppance. What is she? She's a poor, sad little girl who is involved with drugs, who's probably doing all kinds of damage to her own children without even intending to. And here we are, completely engrossed in her story rather than an understanding of our own and our participation as citizens in a larger, in a larger sense. So it seems to me that we have to understand and we have to find ways through dialogue and, and social activity and discussion to change the stories we have in relation to authority figures, that we are their equal that we have a right to question, and that if our conscience tells us that something is right or wrong, whether it's war or anything else, that we speak out as individuals and as a group. Uh, all stories about war seem to involve defense. It seems that nobody ever started a war to be aggressive. They were only defending their interests. And so part of all stories seems to be a terror, a terror that our own tribe, and I think here evolution does play a role. We're tribal people. We're tribal members. Go to a baseball game with the, uh, with the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. This is not merely uh, a baseball game. These are two tribes and two sets of warriors uh, and maybe it would be nice if all the wars in the world were fought with baseball bats and balls or tennis rackets or uh, on a football field. But the kind of participation of the crowd, the kind of loyalties uh, are tribal in nature. And if our tribe is in trouble, uh, we do sense a fear, a collective common fear. And the politicians who start wars here, there, and everywhere seem to be masters at tapping into that terror and tapping into that fear um, uh, that, that, that we have uh, and mobilizing us into a kind of a mindless mob. Another element in these stories, which grows out of the same kind of things, the same elements, is the dehumanization of the enemy. The enemy is, is not human. These are the God thing stories that I have talked about others. We are perfect. We are good. We commit no errors. We start no wars. We commit no atrocities. We are the good guys. Each side is the good guys. Uh, 
each side is convinced or allows themselves to be convinced uh, that their side is just, that this is necessary, and that the other side is dehumanized. The pictures of enemy troops, uh, uh, the songs that we sing, involve a dehumanization of our enemy. And the fact that at this meeting I went to, they could talk about the killing of little children uh, is so horrifying because somehow in their mind, the people who feel this way are detached from the idea that these children, these babies, are, are uh, human beings. Um, I asked one of the people, uh, I often do this, I try to bring the discussion down to something literal and concrete. And I said, uh, will you volunteer to kill the babies? Could you do that? Could you stab a child? Could you do this to a baby? And what would we do with the bodies after we've killed all these people? And what would the consequences be to us as human beings? Could you look at yourself in the mirror after you've done this? And I get these either blank stares or I get hostility. But it seems to me that this is the kind of, of information that has to inform a story about war, that we are human beings killing other human beings. I don't know if any of you who hear this have ever read All Quiet on the Western Front. It's told from the point of view of a young German soldier who fights through the trenches of that horrendous, horrendous war with the incredible suffering that it produced. Uh, leading up to his own death, this young man, as he reaches up to touch a butterfly that has come out into the fields of death and makes himself vulnerable at that moment to a sniper. These were the Germans that had been dehumanized. But when it comes down to it, there's only human beings. There ain't nothing here but us chickens, and that's all there is. During the Vietnamese War, a war that I opposed bitterly from the beginning and spoke up against, um, I worked with many returning vets. And I, By the way, I should give you a little history on, on how psychiatry and medicine uh, have transformed the story we tell about soldiers who come back from war. There are always soldiers who can't fight, refuse to fight, uh, pacifists, people. And we all call, while we, we pray for peace, we vilify pacifists. During Vietnam, anybody who protested that war was absolutely vilified, spat upon. It was really quite interesting. The famous Berrigan brothers, two priests, who practiced Christianity and protested the war, uh, how they were vilified by everyone, including much of the clergy uh, who either remained silent or joined in the chorus that these people were traitors. Uh, by the end of that awful war, most people were now on the side of the Berrigans. But the idea that you would preach peace, this is, makes you either crazy. But during battle, there are many soldiers who can't fight. They tremble, they collapse. The terror of death is too much for them. And it used to be that these people would be called cowards and shot uh, or put to death because the idea that people will throw down their guns and not fight is terrifying for those 
who see war as necessary. Uh, for the young men who join in war, because the story is, it will glorify you. Another question, I mean, I know I'm rambling a little, but uh, it all do, does come together. Uh, so many young men go off the fight because they find their own home life meaningless, without purpose, and life uh, is given meaning by war. I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to be a soldier. I'm protecting my country. I'm fighting for God. Ah, how many wars have been fought for the same God that seems to say, uh, 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 practice peace. In any event, uh, these, these soldiers who can't fight used to be called cowards. During World War I, they were said to be suffering from shell shock. Uh, World War II, it was war neurosis. See, the shrinks were getting stronger. And there's a famous scene in the movie that apparently is true about General Patton, an interesting guy who thought he was reincarnated from uh, uh, Genghis Khan, uh, no, uh, uh, Alexander the Great, and he believed he had fought at Thermopylae. Very interesting man. Glad he was on our side, uh, but I wouldn't want to have this individual for dinner. Uh, he went into a tent where psychiatrists were attending a young soldier who was suffering from war neurosis and slapped him across the face uh, to get him back to his dignity and he, so that he would go back to the front with the other brave young men and uh, stop being a coward. Now, I'm not going to say who's right or wrong in this. Uh, it's a value system. It's what you value. And uh, the shrinks destroyed Patton's career because they said he was sick. And by the time the Vietnamese War had opened, we had a nice new name for it, because the names always change, and that was post-traumatic stress disorder. I want to finish with one story, a young man that I worked with for several years, who, while in Vietnam, uh, was on the back of a truck being taken someplace with his buddies, and a little girl was about to throw a knapsack onto the back of the truck. She was seven years old, it turned out. And this little girl did have a sack of dynamite. And had that dynamite gone onto the truck and blown up, uh, all of these soldiers would have been killed or maimed or wounded. And he shot her. And she fell down, he said, in two small pieces. Now, this is self-defense. He's acting as a soldier. Uh, she's a combatant. Uh, again, uh, we find interesting stories where children are used as combatants. We try to avoid that in our society. But he wasn't sick. He was suffering from a terrible guilt. He had killed a child. He had been put into a situation where everything that was of value to him had been stripped out. It had lost its meaning. Life had lost its meaning. He had lost its purpose. He had lost his faith in God. He had lost his faith in country. He had lost his faith in himself. This is not a sickness. It is a state of mind. Well, I, these are the problems. I'm not sure I have a solution. Again, I think it comes from dialogue. It has to come from those of us who feel the way we do to speak up and to question the validity of war, to question the validity of those who would send us to war. Uh, this has to be something that stops with uh, I and it and becomes I and thou. Uh, 
how do we see all, how do we create a story in which we are all brothers and sisters, all of us, of every religion? How do we get rid of the God thing stories? I'm not sure I have any real answers to that, but certainly it seems to me uh, that unless we do that, the misery will go on and only uh, the 21st century will make the 20th century with its two world wars a walk in the park. Thank you for listening, for those of you who have. And uh, this is Dr. Lawrence Simon. Uh, next week, I'm going to interview Dominic Riccio, 2 o'clock on a Thursday, October 4th, uh, on his notions of stories and in how integrity plays a role in them. Goodbye.